Today we're going to be talking about relational health. Now we all know that a balloon, when it is inflated to its limits, what will happen? It will burst, right? Uh, a rubber band that is put to its limits will snap. A plastic bag that is stretched to its limits will begin to tear. Everything has its God-given limits. And once that limit is exceeded, it can break. Now, there are also limits that God has set for man's physical, emotional, spiritual, and relational well-being. And over the last three weeks, we have been talking about the spiritual, the emotional, and also the physical. And this morning, it's my job to now focus on relational health. And I believe it's something that God wants us to have. The prophet Isaiah, describing the condition of man, said it so eloquently in Isaiah 56, verse 3, where he said this, We all, and he's describing the human condition, and he said, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, when mankind fell into sin, not only did we walk away from God, all we like sheep have gone astray from our shepherd, but each of us have also walked away in, from each other in our own ways. We have all gone our own ways, which tells us this, that when mankind fell into sin, we not only walk away from God, we also walk away from each other. And with the entrance of sin and selfishness, human relationships have gone downhill. And we all experience that because we all have selfishness and things like that. The good news is that on the cross, Jesus redeemed fallen humanity and he rescued us, all of us, not just spiritually, but he also restored us emotionally and relationally. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, we all can come back to relational health. We all can begin to experience once again what it means to relate to one another in the right way. Now, you may ask, why do we need to pursue relational health? Now, the Apostle Paul alluded to this. He talks a lot about how human relationships should be run with Christ as a center. And he talked about it in all of his epistles, including the letter to the Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, we all know, is a much-loved epistle where Paul expounded. Now, for those who have never studied the book of Ephesians before, it basically has three things. It talks about God's plan for the world, and it talks about God's power, okay? But through God's plan and God's power, God will fulfill His purpose. See, so if you read the book of Ephesians, you know that in Ephesians chapter 1 all the way to chapter 3, Paul deals with the principles of what it means to be in Christ. And every one of us here who knows Jesus, we are now in Christ. And then from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 6, Paul talks about the practices of being a Christian. So he starts with the belief, and then he ends up with the behavior. Now what we're going to do now is we're going to go into a passage in Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul begins to tell us how we should be relating to one another. What does relational health look like? So I'm going to invite you now to go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read for you our text for this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading from verse 17 all the way to 32. Okay, so follow along with me as I read this beautiful passage for you. Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. 
So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regards to your, old, your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood, speak truthfully to your neighbours, for we are all members of one body. And in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must stop stealing. Uh, must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, along with every kind of malice, but be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Lord, I pray this morning that you will anoint your servant so that I may deliver your word with clarity, that I may deliver it simply, but at the same time, God, may the authority of your word speak to us so that, Lord, we will learn what it means to relate as people who are in Christ. So we commit all this into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, I want you to notice that Paul begins in Ephesians 4.17 actually with very strong language. He begins by saying this, I tell you, and then, with a double emphasis, he says, and I insist on it. I tell you, and then I insist on it. In other words, what Paul is about to say is this. There is no two ways about this. You have no choice. This is an ultimatum. You cannot and you must not live like before. You can no longer relate to one another with the old nature. Why? Because we now have a new nature in Christ. How many of you can say amen to that? Yeah, we got a new nature now in Christ, and you can no longer live like before. And then from verse 17 to 19, Paul vividly describes for us the depravity of man. He describes for us the degeneration of sinful man. See, and notice that he used the preposition they. When he was talking about in Ephesians 4, he begins by saying, they did this, they did that, to denote that he is talking about those who are outside of Christ. Okay, so from verse 17 to 19, he used they. Then they go from how, then he describes how, before we come to Christ, all of us experience this, we go from hardness of heart to darkness of heart, from darkness of heart to deadness of heart, and then from deadness of heart, we become reckless in our living to a recklessness of heart. I think it's a vivid description of a hardened sinner. How many of you agree? We all go through that. 
right? We become insensitive and we, we begin to chase after things that is not right. And what Paul is saying to all of us this morning is this, you are no longer like this. You must put off the old man, leave your old ways behind and move on in your new life. And then in verse 20 onwards, he begins to, to talk about we, referring to all of us now who are in Christ. He begins to tell us that we have heard of him. We have been taught of him. What have we been taught? We've been taught to put off our old self. We've been taught to renew our mind. We've been taught to put on our new self. And what Paul is describing for us here is actually the picture of someone taking off old clothes and putting on new ones. We have to put off the old nature and then put on the new nature. Now, in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, Paul expanded on this by saying this, You are all sons of God now through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who have been baptized into Christ, and this morning after service, we're going to have a baptism service where people are going to, to, to actually go through this. They're going to be baptized into Christ. And when, when we say we are baptized into Christ, what does it mean? We are putting on Christ now. Through the act of baptism, they are signifying that when they go into the water, they are taking off the old, the, the old man. And now when they get up in newness of life, they put on the new man. They are putting on Christ now. And when we begin to put on Christ, that's when we begin to relate healthily. Because now we are relating in Christ. So allow me now this morning to actually outline for you seven elements that could bring us relational health, okay? These are seven things that, give, that, that actually enables all of us to relate properly in Christ. So let me outline them for you. Number one is this. If we really want to learn how to relate to one another in a healthy way, we need, number one, honesty. Everybody say honesty. Honesty. You look at verse 25. After he tells us that we are now put on a new man, then what he, what he goes on to say this. Paul says, Therefore, in the light of the fact that you now have a new nature in Christ, each of you must put off falsehood put off that which is false and speak truthfully to his neighbor for we are all members of one body. I thought it's so appropriate for the Apostle Paul to say this because in the Greek culture at that time, it is considered clever to lie. So if you are able to be deceitful, you are able to lie in the Greek culture, it's almost like, wow, that's a very smart man. But Paul says, no, 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 no. You, we've got a new nature now. In fact, in this new nature, we need to be truthful and authentic. In other words, be real. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. What you see is what you get. Say what you mean, mean what you say. That's what Paul is teaching us. And that is why in, in our church, our first culture pillar, if you walk into the church and the building outside, you see our culture pillars. The first culture pillar is this. We want to be authentic in our faith. We want to be real before man, but true towards God. So that's, how, that's the thing we want to build, authenticity. Why? Because we are all one in the body of Christ. We must be real, honest, authentic with one another. There is no place for hypocrisy in the church. There is no need for you, for me, to put on a mask. We come as we are. 
See, and then allow God to actually transform us and to change us. You see, we are real before men, but we are true towards God. There's no need for masks. Can everybody do this? Come on. Everybody do this. Take off our masks. You know, I love this story. I told it once here. The story told about a guy who was desperately looking for a job, you know, and the, the, the job market was hard. And then one Sunday, he got really excited because he saw in the classified ads there is a job available at the zoo. See, what happened was, it was school holidays. They got plenty of children coming to visit, but not enough monkeys. So they decided they were going to employ someone who's willing to get into a monkey suit and then just pretend to be a monkey, okay? Oh, the job is very simple. All you need to do is go into the cage, hop around like a monkey, eat all the bananas and the peanuts that the kids hand to you. And so this guy was so desperate, he took the job. So he put on a monkey suit, he's jumping around, and the kids were giving him peanuts and, and bananas. The first few hours, he actually quite enjoyed it. You know, but after about a few hours of jumping around and, and the bananas and the peanuts got the better of him, he was so tired. But after a few hours, he was swinging from one branch to the other. He missed the branch and he fell into the cage next door, which turned out to be the lion's cage. <laughs> and when he saw the lion, he forgot you're supposed to be a monkey. He started screaming, help, help. And then to his surprise, the lion turned to him and said, shut up or we'll both lose our job. <laughs> Got that? <laughs> That's the problem with the world, isn't it? Everybody has a mask on. Everybody's pretending to be what we are not. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, without honesty, without authenticity, we cannot relate healthily. And one aspect of honesty is simply being transparent with one another. Now, I've discovered in the Western culture, after so many years living in Australia now, I realize in the Western culture, people are a lot more upfront with one another. But I tell you the truth, in the Asian culture, we're not quite like that, you know? And that's a problem. In fact, I learned the hard way, the cultural difference between, between the, the, the Aussies and, and the Asian. You know, the first time I ever come to Australia, that was almost like 20 over years ago, I actually came as a visitor from, us, from Singapore uh, for a scout jamboree. It was held in Melbourne. So I was there, and we, as, as Boy Scouts, we were hosted by all the different families that have, uh, who are involved in the scouting movement. And I was hosted in an Aussie family, typical Aussie family uh, in Melbourne. And um, I, I, I arrived quite late that night, and they put me to sleep. And the next morning when I woke up, you know, it was to the awesome smell of apple pie. You know, my host have, was baking freshly baked apple pie. And oh, the moment I smell it, I was hungry already. It was cold. I was hungry. And when I stepped into the kitchen, oh, my, my host just took the apple pie freshly out of the, the oven. And then he sat me down and he says, would you like to have a piece? I tell you, I was so hungry. My mouth was almost watering. Can't wait to eat it. But being the typical Asian, when he asked me, would you like to have a piece? My instinctive reaction was, no, thank you. <laughs> and then I was waiting for her to do the typical Asian housewife thing. Eat la, eat la, have a piece la. Sek la, sek la. No, no. All she did was, oh, what a shame. It's actually very nice. And then she kept it. <laughs> I learned very quickly. Honesty is the best policy. 
Now, if you ask me, I'll tell you I want, I means I want. <laughs> I've learned very quickly, honesty is the best policy. And you know, in church too often, even in church, at home, at work, we do not always fess up, you know, when we screw up. Is that true? We don't always tell the truth. We try to present the best side of things, absolve ourselves of responsibility. You know, the Apostle Paul is calling us to a raw authenticity where we make a mistake. We learn to take responsibility for it, honestly, courageously. I think it's better to say, I made a mistake, my bad. I'm so sorry, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Than to say, I know, but actually, and then comes all the excuses. You know, I, I, the better practice, I think, is learn to take responsibility. We apologize, and then we explain and provide context later. People hate it, right? When, when, when we make all kinds of excuses when we messed up, just to protect our own backside. You understand what I mean? I think be honest, be authentic, be real. And this is what helps us to relate healthily. That's the first thing, honesty. But that brings me to my next point, which is accountability. Why are we honest? It's because we want to be accountable. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, go on to say this, Therefore, each of you, put off falsehood, be authentic, and then what? Speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I think relationships deepen. Authenticity builds trust. And relationships deepen when we are, on, when, when we are honest and authentic with one another. And when trust is built, with authenticity, it builds trust. And when trust is built, we must be able not just to affirm, not just to encourage, but also to confront and correct one another. How many of you agree? See, when, when does trust really take off? It's when we don't just affirm and encourage all the time, but we, we confront and we correct when needed. Authenticity must lead to accountability. And it's accountability which will then lead to growth. Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse 15, later on, you know, before that, he said this, instead, speaking the truth in love, he said, speaking the truth in love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. See, how many of you would agree with me? One of the keys to growth and maturity is when we can speak the truth in love to one another. We all must learn to speak the truth in love. Now, you may ask, what does it mean to speak the truth in love? Everybody say that, right? What does it mean to speak the truth in love? I think it means to speak the truth kindly. Can I put it this way? It's to speak the kind truth. Now, I know that there are some people who will use this phrase, you not know, speak the truth in love, to justify telling people off in a harsh manner. So we say things like, Dan, I love you, you understand? That's why I tell you off. And then after that, we let go. And <laughs> we give it to him. But here's the thing. If we are truly doing this out of love, we must make the effort to guard not just what we say, but the way that we say it. It's not just what you say, it's the way that we say it. And listen, it, it, this is important. Why? Because feedback can be weaponized if there is a lack of kindness and understanding. Is that true? I think feedback can be a weapon. 
when it is lacking in kindness and understanding. We need to confront and correct, but at the same time with great care and compassion because you are about to actually speak strongly into a person's life, take the trouble to think about care and compassion as well. And I think this is what it means to speak the truth, but in love. At the same time, can I challenge you that it takes courage to confront, it takes courage to correct. And too often, I think we lack courage to lovingly correct one another. And we all need to learn to do that. And if we don't correct one another, we don't confront one another, we will allow sin to continue until sin becomes a stronghold in our, in, in our friend's life. And this is not at all loving, but it's actually harmful to one another. How many of you agree with that? If I see something wrong with your life and I don't take the trouble to confront you, I don't take the trouble to tell you, I'm not helping you. In fact, I'm allowing you to go on in wrong until it becomes a stronghold in your life. And that is why I think part of relational health within the context of a community is that we learn to hold one another accountable by learning to speak the truth in love to one another. Accountability is often the missing link in disciple making. If we truly want to disciple one another, we need to be able to lovingly confront one another. So what is accountability? If I can give you a working definition, it will be this. To be accountable is to be regularly answerable for each of the key areas of our life to selected people. I need to be regularly answerable to key areas of my life. How am I doing in my walk with God? How am I doing in my, in my relationship with my wife? How am I doing with my children? See, these things, so I need to be regularly answerable to some selected people in my life. And this could include the people that we report to, like our leaders, our mentors, or people that we relate to, like our family, our connect group members, and close friends. Because without accountability, brothers and sisters, there is no discipleship. If we are not accountable to one another, there is no discipleship. So number one, if we want to relate healthily, number one, we need honesty. Number two, we need accountability. But here's the third one. We need safety. We need safety. Verse 26 and 27, Paul begins to bring up a, a very ten, a tension-filled situation. He said, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Invariably, when people come together, there will be moments when we wrap each other up the wrong way. Is that true? No matter how good you are, no matter how nice you are, there will be in human relationship moments when we wrap each other up the wrong way. Anger and frustration can erupt even in Christian relationship. The important thing is, how do we handle our negative emotions? How do we curate a safe space for healthy relationship? Couples who quarrel, and then they sleep in separate rooms or they go on a cold war for days and weeks, you are walking a dangerous path. You're letting the sun go down on your anger. Family members who are upset, but they never confront and deal with the issues, you're gonna end up with relational fractures. And some of it are so difficult to heal. Connect group members, if we offend one another, but we never deal with the situation, we're gonna give the devil a foothold to attack us. And remember, all you need is one crack in the wall and the snake will slip in. 
That's all you need. It's one crack, one fracture in the wall. The snake will come in. And the principle here is this, that to relate healthily, we must learn to be in touch. We must learn to be aware of our own feelings and to learn how to manage that. Only then can we manage our emotions and then we subject them to the control of the Holy Spirit. Many of us here are too busy sometimes to even feel what is going on inside of our own soul. We don't even need to have the time to get in touch with our, our emotions. What's going on inside? We get angry and we bottle it all up. Oftentimes, I think we are more self-conscious than we are self-aware. We are more worried about what people think of us, you know what, how we dress, how we look, and all of that, rather than wrestling with our true emotions and feelings that are going on inside. We're not self-aware, we're just self-conscious. Are you with me on this? There's a difference, I think, between being self-aware, knowing what's going on deep inside of me, and learning how to take that and, and surrender that to the Holy Spirit than just being self-conscious. You know, how are people going to feel? What if you, will I be embarrassing myself? That's just self-conscious. We're not self-aware. We are more self-absorbed than we are self-aware. We are into self-pity, you know, self-hatred, self-denier, emo parties that we hold with ourselves, you know, and, and rather than to be honest with our feelings and emotions, you see. And I think, brothers and sisters, we all must learn to face our pain. Learn to face our pain. Choose to forgive because these are the keys to healing our inner wounds. And that's what it takes to build a safe environment for healthy relationship. However, listen to me, this, this safety that I talk about cannot be divorced from the first two elements of honesty and accountability. Because without honesty, without authenticity, without accountability, if all we care about is just creating a safe environment for everybody, we can end up with inclusivity without truth. Hello? You following me this morning? We don't want to end up with inclusivity without truth. We just want to build an environment where everybody can come, everyone is accepted, everyone is included, but we never deal with the truth. We never deal with sin. We never deal with things that are wrong. All we want to do is make everybody feel belong. You cannot end up with inclusivity without truth. The Bible informs us that God accepts us as we are, but He does not expect us to remain as we are. You see, as the, He loves us too much not to redeem us, not to change us, not to transform us. And we as a discipleship community cannot simply accept one another as we are, but we must go on to disciple one another for God's glory. See, we need honesty, we need accountability, and then we can have safety. And once we have that, once we have that safe environment, then we can have the fourth thing, which is trust. We begin to build trust. In verse 28, Paul goes on to say this, he who has been stealing must steal no longer, must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. I think Paul begins to bring up different, different examples, you know, of, of how uh, relationships can be broken, see? And one of them is this, another key to healthy relationship is when our actions are consistently Christ-like, consistently others-centered, that it builds trust 
It builds trustworthiness, you see. Paul brings up an example here of someone who needs to stop stealing, start working, and then begin sharing with others in need. He's telling them, put off the negative uh, values of greed and put on generosity. Stop being so self-centered and start being others-centered. And how many of us know that when we start acting in righteous, trustworthy ways and be a blessing to others, over time, trust is being built, layer by layer, bit by bit. And the next thing you know, relationships become healthier at home, in church, and in our workplaces. Why? Because people now feel that, in, that, people are tr- that we can be trustworthy with one another. See, you walk into a city where the streets are not safe, Everybody don't trust nobody. The moment someone approached me, I, I, I put out my defenses. But you walk in a city that is safe, right? People are more open. People are more willing to relate. Why? Because there is a sense that people can be trusted. See, and in, a, in an environment like this, in a community like this, in a connect group, we all build that trust. See, so we have honesty, accountability, right? Trust. Here's, here's another one. Nurture, nurture. How do we relate healthily unless we learn to have a nurturing environment? When there's care, when there's nurture, relationships become healthy. See, one of the ways that we nurture one another is through our words. How do you build a re- an environment where people can, can relate healthily? It's often through our words we create an environment of nurture. Paul goes on to say in verse 29, he says, Now don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. The word unwholesome in the Greek means rotten, filthy, unclean. It's actually referring to someone using obscene language or vulgar talk. And that word unwholesome can also refer to unkind words that tears down instead of building up. So don't let any unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Put off obscenity, put off unkind words, and put on instead. What I, when I read Ephesians 4.28, I always think of it this way, you know. Paul says, put it this way, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. So can I draw you a picture in your mind? Now, I think of the amount of words, right? Don't let any unwholesome talk come in your mouth, but only that which is helpful. So think of all the helpful words that we can say. The line is quite long. So you draw a long line that denotes the amount of helpful things that we can say. But out of all the helpful things that I can say, only some are useful at this time for that person. So it'll be less now. Out of all the helpful things I can say, there are some that will be helpful to others. And then out of the, all the helpful things I can say, only some are really beneficial for the person at this time. So you draw the line like a triangle, all we get at the, at the end is a small amount of words. So here's my encouragement to all of you who are not so talkative. You don't have to be a talkative person to be encouraging. 
Out of many things that you can say, only some are helpful. Out of all the helpful things you can say, some, only some, are really needed for that moment. And out of all the needful things you can say, only some are really beneficial. And then all you really need to say is those few words carefully. Are you following me? Don't let unwholesome things come to your mouth. Only that which really builds others up. James chapter 1, verse 26, the Apostle James tells us this. He says, If anyone considers himself religious but does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. And that is why, my friends, I always believe that gossip is a sin. Gossip is a sin. Gossip kills, but prayer heals. One thing that hurts relationship is when we speak carelessly, especially about other people. So the wise man said in Proverbs 26, 20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. We can save so many conflict situations if only we learn to control our tongue. Because people like to talk. Small things become big things. Big things become fatal things. Especially when we talk about other people. Proverbs, 29, uh, Proverbs 20 verse 19. A gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid a man who talks too much. How wise. It's true, isn't it? How many of you have been victims of gossip before in your life? Yeah? Yeah. I see many hands. We've all gone through this. Now, I was taught a very precious lesson on the ugliness of, of gossip in, a, in, a, in real life. You know, I, I have an early mentor in my life. His, his name is Dr. John Garlock. He passed on already. Uh, but one time, we were, I was taking a mission trip. I was leading a mission trip into Asia, in, in Asia. And then after the whole day's activity, that night, we all get back into our hotels. We're sitting around having dinner, having conversation. And then Dr. John came down after a whole day of preaching. He's quite tired, but he came down and he joined us. And what happened was, along the way, someone brought up a common friend, a mutual friend that's not there, but a mutual friend that we all had, and started to say something negative about this person. And we all just kind of jump in, you know. The moment he started telling, oh no, this guy did this, this guy did, we all like kind of get excited. We all jump in. And the whole conversation begin to revolve around this brother that was not even there. And we just all get excited. We were making a joke at first, and then it became more serious. And everybody was adding fuel, you know, to the fire. And we were all gossiping. Dr. John sat there for a while. He said nothing. And then we went on and on, and he seems like we were not going to stop. And that was when he suddenly put his hands down on the table, and then he said, excuse me, I think it is time for us to stop now. We have almost murdered this brother, and I'll have no part in this. And he stood up and he says, good night, and then he walked off. After that, for 10 minutes around the table, nobody talked. Everybody was looking at the, each, each other, and then slowly, one by one, we all like the Pharisees, you know, in, in, in the book of John, right? We all start to drop our stones, you know, and we all quietly say, good night, good night. Everybody went home. That night, I went back to my room and I wrote down in my journal that I will never do this again. I saw the ugliness of gossip. I saw how gossip actually kills people. And I'm thankful to my mentor for teaching me this important lesson.
And that day, I learned a precious lesson that if it is not necessary and it does not build up, don't have to say it. Avoid unkind remarks that we make on matters that do not concern us. I learned to avoid frivolous talk that turn everything into a joke. It betrays our shallowness, you know. Humor is good, but frivolous talk is irritating. So I want to challenge you, your connect groups especially, don't ever allow our Christian fellowship to come down to this level of shallowness. But let our words be affirming, be edifying, be nurturing. Amen. Because gossip kills. You want to relate healthily? We need honesty. We need accountability. We need to create an environment of safety. We need to, that nurture, that trust. And I'll give you one more. Sensitivity. We need sensitivity. Another important element that brings relational health is sensitivity to one another. Nothing destroys relationship more than being insensitive. Avoid unkind actions, insensitive words, graceless responses. Paul summarizes it this way in Ephesians 4.31. He says now, in summary, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as in Christ, God forgave us. You know, over the years, I've seen people leave church. I've seen people quit connect groups because of insensitivity. And this is what grieves the Holy Spirit. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, he goes on to say this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God for whom we are sealed for the day of redemption. If we want to grow in relational health, I think this is a critical element. Practice sensitivity. Be sensitive to how other people will feel with our words, with our action, out of love. Sensitivity. And every one of these things that I talk about in these first six things revolve around one central thing, which is what I want to leave with you, is to be gospel-centered. Be gospel-centered. And I'll tell you why. The gospel has given us the redemptive environment in which we can relate deeply with one another. So hear me, brothers and sisters, hear me. Without the power of the gospel, without what Jesus has done for us on the cross, I would not dare to take the inward journey into my own soul. Because what I, find, what I may find within myself may be too ugly to behold. But because of the gospel, I know I've been made beautiful in Christ. I've learned that I don't need to earn my acceptance. I don't have to strive to be loved. And this is why I love the gospel. The gospel tells me, and it tells you, that I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dare believe. And yet, I am more accepted and loved than I can ever dare to hope for because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. Within myself, I am so ugly. I dare not even take that inward journey because I may not like what I see inside. But at the same time, because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I know I am now fully loved and totally accepted by God. It gives me that confidence to relate to people without putting on a mask, without needing to hide. Second Corinthians 5.21, Paul wrote this, God make him 
who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him now, we might become the righteousness of God. And now I am deeply loved and fully accepted by God. I have nothing to prove, I have nothing to lose, and I've got nothing to hide because I know I'm valued, I'm loved and accepted. And because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I know now I am free. I am free to be me. I can come out of hiding. I am free to fail. I have permission to feel and I can ask for forgiveness and I can admit fault. A revelation of God's free, unmerited grace has given me the courage to face the painful truth about myself. And so should it be for you. Our hidden secrets, our hidden skeletons can now come out of the closet. We no longer need to hide our struggles, our addictions, our pains, our doubts, our sin. We can bring them into the light. And we know the blood of Jesus can cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. That Jesus is here to redeem and to restore. He is here to forgive. This glorious gospel of Jesus Christ has become the anchor for our soul. And when we know how much God accepts and loves us, it frees us to be transformed and it frees us to redeem our relationship with one another. And we are now free to bring honesty, accountability, safety, nurture, trust, and sensitivity into our gospel-centered relationships at home, at work, and in our churches. Amen. And that's where we begin. Here's a prophetic burden I have for us as we close this morning. I think the starting point of relational health is when I'm willing to take a long, hard look at the state of my relationship, of the re state of the relationships that are in my life right now. We tear away layer by layer the veneer of superficial, you know, spirituality, religious language that we can hide behind, and we face up to what is really going on inside of our life. Face up to it. Bring into the light our intentions and our action that comes from within. We unmask, right? We take off the mask. We become real and authentic first before God and then before one another. But here's the thing. We do not expose our innermost struggle just to expose them. That's not the point. But it's so that when it is exposed, when it's brought into the light, we can apply the power of the gospel to the deepest needs of our heart. We expose it so that we can apply the power of the gospel to it. We allow the power of the gospel to change our mourning into dancing, our sorrows into joy. Take our pain and turn it into our com for our comfort, you know, our, our brokenness for his wholeness, our anger for his love. And then Psalms 103, the psalmist said in verse 10 and 12, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. This is the God that we serve. And that is why today we can bring our brokenness to the cross and allow Jesus to bring health back into our relationship. Amen. Amen. Let's bow. We have a word of prayer, and then I want us to respond to the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, this morning, 
we ask that your Holy Spirit will come and you will speak to us, cause us once again to remember the wonderful gospel that you've given to us, the wonderful news that, of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, that on the cross you've taken our brokenness, on the cross you've taken all of our fractures, and God, you are here to redeem, to restore, and to forgive. Lord, would you come and speak to every one of us? Lord, all of us have, in moments in our life, caused hurt to other people. We've said things that were never meant to be said. We have done things that have been ungracious, things that are offensive. God, I pray that you will come and you will heal and you will restore. God, where relationships have been broken, that you come and you bring healing and set us free to become men and women who will relate to one another, not out of their own nature, but out of the new, because we have put on Christ. Thank you for the gospel that can give us fresh beginnings. And I ask you now, come and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen.